Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, writer-director leads... That's not quite true what's happening here. Don't worry about it. Just... Writer-director leads, everybody. They're amazing. (laughs) They're amazing? This is the ladies' edition. Ladies' edition. Writer-director leads, ladies' night. Oh, what a night! (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about a movie that is available on, like, the YouTubes that is alternatively Kiss of the Vampire or Immortally Yours. This is a Mackenzie pick. Yeah, it's one of my picks. Quick qualification. This one is not actually a writer-director lead. I could have sworn it was, but it's not. I thought it was, yeah. It's a starring, produced, and written by. Oh, close enough. Yeah. A woman named Catherine Hawks wrote a movie that she could star in, produced it, and got just a wild list of people to act in this movie and direct it for her. In a way, I like to think of this and Titanic 2 as that one cover of uh, Hugh uh, uh, Jackson. What? Wolverine. Uh, You've lost me. (laughs) What? What? There's this one cover which shows Hugh Jackman on a cover of a men's magazine where he's all beefy and ripped and he's like flexing real hard. And then there's another cover of Hugh Jackman on a different magazine where he's wearing like a comfortable sweater and holding knitting needles. Yeah, it's like Men's Illustrated versus Good Housekeeping or something. Yeah. So our writer-director lead of Titanic 2 had tons of babes and was just considered masculine and manly, and then he did a bunch of action stunts. (laughs) And was very cool there. In this one, our writer, lady, is just very classy and loved by all the men. Instantaneously. She's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. So this is a movie from 2009. I just want to read you the log line that you can find for this on IMDb. (laughs) Are you going to emphasize the words that are weirdly capitalized? You know, I think I will. Excellent. Thank you. A coven of sexy modern day (laughs) vampires ravage the American Midwest with the thirst for blood, while a romantic twist puts the vampires at odds among themselves and with the murderous Illuminati that seek to gain their immortality. I gotta say, the Midwest is like maybe the least sexy environment for any vampire to try and exist in. (laughs) Okay, I... I kept wondering where the Midwest was, what was happening, because occasionally there would be, like, cops with, like, county names, and y'all, I pinpointed to where this takes place. Where is it? 20 miles north of Cincinnati, Ohio. God (laughs) damn it. Ohio. Ohio. The seat of the Illuminati's power. The seat of the Illuminati's power, 20 miles north of Cincinnati, Ohio. (laughs) Not even in, like, a major metropolitan area. Ugh. Also, how was this movie made in 2009? It looks like shit. (laughs) It looks like an episode of Charmed. It looks like fucking Dante's Cove. I'm so happy. Kit, you told me before we started recording that you just finished this? Yeah, like 15 minutes before we started recording, I finished watching (laughs) this movie. Hell yes. I'm so excited. What happened? (laughs) So how Annie and I found this movie was actually my dad. My dad had this habit of just renting random movies or buying random movies he saw and then making copies of them on a Blu-ray ripper he had. He found this movie, I think, it wasn't actually Blockbuster, because our small town was too small for a Blockbuster. It was the uh, funeral home rent-a-movie place. And he found this movie there, took it home, ripped it, and then sent me a copy. And then one night I made Annie watch it with me. Yeah, I think it was Yumi and Bethany, your roommate. And, oh boy... What a, what, what a, what a piece of cinema. 
The Wikipedia page listed a link to an official website. I tried to click it. It is gone now. I tried to get oh. it in the Wayback Machine, but unfortunately, it was an Adobe Flash website. <laughs> Until like 2015, when the URL got bought out by some like spam website trying to sell cars in Japanese. <laughs> I have my theory for why this looks so fucking terrible, just like visually. Uh huh. I think it might be that like around the late noughties is when a lot of TV shows were switching over from shooting on video to shooting on digital, which probably meant that there were a lot of secondhand aftermarket video cameras on the market at the time. So it's possible when they were buying cameras for this movie, they just bought what they could get cheapest and what was available, which was a shit ton of video cameras. It's entirely possible because like the credits on this movie say 2006, but like most of the like release information says 2009. So that would definitely be in the right timeline. <laughs> so I was trying to like look on IMDb to figure out how the hell this movie happened. And I have some facts for y'all. Okay, please explain what the f*** happened here. Oh, I can't, but I can add some further confusion. <laughs> All right, so Cat Hawks, Catherine Hawks, she is our auteur. She is our visionary here. Uh, <laughs> she starred in this movie. She wrote it, and she was one of the producers. She's from New Zealand. Her parents are from New Zealand and Russia. She has a BA in Russian. <laughs> she started to get into acting in the early aughts, and her first acting credit is actually in 2001 for the penultimate episode of Power Rangers Time Force. <laughs> so uh, we're doing, we're now doing a crossover episode of Morphin Grid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it gets even weirder. The guy that plays the vampire hunter, first off, he's in a bunch of like action movies and whatever, but also he was also in an episode of Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. Oh my god. And like, <laughs> Cathawks' IMDb list is vanishingly small, but some of the other ones are so wild. The guy who plays the lead here, the romantic lead, Alex Stone, yeah. I think is his full name. Alex Stone, yeah. that's what she came up with, is a man named Daniel Goddard. His two major claims to fame is that the 1999 The Beastmaster TV show, that revival. What? <laughs> he was the titular Dar the Beastmaster. <laughs> That's where I recognize him from. You recognize him from the Beastmaster. Oh my god. I was looking at this guy and I was like, I kept looking at him because like, I know what the casting note for this character must have been. The casting note for this character must have been get me Brandon Lee, but cheap or worse and alive. <laughs> and then I was looking at him like, I know him from somewhere. Where do I know him from? Is it just that he looks like Brandon Lee? What's going on with this? No, he's the fucking Beastmaster from the TV revival. He's the Beastmaster <laughs> from like the Hercules and Xena era Beastmaster. <laughs> also, Jesus Christ. For those of you who watch soaps out there, he was in 12 years of The Young and the Restless. <laughs> he apparently played the character Kane Ashby slash Caleb Atkinson slash self. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. I'm not a soap person. But, you know, if you've been around in the last 20 odd years, maybe you caught that one. <laughs> So that didn't give me answers. I tried to look at the director, Joe Tornatore. That didn't give me any answers either, because this dude, his biggest claim to fame is that he did stunt work in Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> and he was also one of the uncredited apes in the original Planet of the Apes. <laughs> He's directed 14 movies, but all of them are like pulpy post-war action movies from like the 70s and 80s. I have no idea why he's done Kiss of the Vampire. 
Like, I have to assume that Cat Hawks is just able to bankroll a lot of this shit and just hired a whole bunch of people based on, like, names and favors of favors. One more thing that blew my mind personally. The guy who plays the Dr. Dad here in this movie. Yes. This is a man named Nick Jameson. He's not typically on screen. He's a voice actor. He has a huge list, although he does have one screen claim that lots of people might know him from. Anybody here watch 24? My brother and dad did, and I was in the room. Well, he was in a lot of 24, apparently. He played a character named Yuri Suvorov. I have no idea who that is. I don't know either. <laughs> but it was in a lot of 24, so someone out there is probably losing their shit right now. Because here's the thing about Nick Jamison's voice acting credits. First off, he played the Emperor slash Chancellor Palpatine for a really long time in a bunch of Star Wars stuff. Oh my god. Including in the Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars series. Oh my god. And a bunch of the video games until they sort of redid the whole system there or whatever. I don't know. He also played Max in the 1993 LucasArts video game Sam and Max Hit the Road. What? Yeah. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. That was Max? That was Max. <laughs> this doesn't look like the Lincoln Tunnel, Sam. What? He also, in the most amazing game Psychonauts and Psychonauts 2, he played Coach Oleander, Dr. Lobato, and Mr. Pokelope. Oh my god. Yeah, so he was the two antagonists from Psychonauts. Yeah. This is no death machine, soldier. This is a machine of peace to protect the people you love from Maligula. Okay, he's also in like 15 different movie soundtracks, including both Mamma Mia movies. And just to bring this back to our vampire shit, in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, this is Michael fucking Morbius. I hunger for plasma. Oh my god. This is the man who originally morbed on screen. I must keep trying to rid myself of this horrible need for plasma. I can't process this information. <laughs> this guy went up to a microphone, put his hands up, pretended they had little suckers on them, and hissed, Plasma! I need more plasma! <laughs> you know, there's a not to not like about everyone's performance in this movie, but I, this sounds like one of the guys where if you hire him for a VO gig, like, he steps up to the mic and he gets it on the second take. Yeah. <laughs> Like, even just in friggin' Psychonauts, like, Lobato and Oleander are completely different roles and have completely different tones, and this dude nailed both of them. This is Max from Sam and Max Hit the Road. <laughs> I'm still processing that. This is the original Morver. <laughs> Morvin time was his time. <laughs> and now here he is in Kiss of the Vampire. More plasma. This is like when we found out DC Douglas was in Titanic 2. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Why does this keep happening? Why do these really terrible writer-director lead movies always have like one absurdly competent voice actor in a minor role? <laughs> like he just wanted to be in a little bit of live action for funsies. This really is the ladies' night of Titanic 2, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> it kind of is, though. <laughs> oh, okay. So again, I have no answers for you. I just have further mysteries. <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> Why is that Max? <laughs> <laughs> it's Max the fucking dog from Seven Max. Oh, holy shit. Like, I don't even think, I feel like they got someone different for the cartoon. 
They did get someone different for the cartoon, and they also got someone different for the Telltale Salmon Backs games. But no, no. He originated the voice role. He originated the voice of Max. Yeah. Whereas the guy who originated the voice of Sam was just doing William Powell, which I did not realize until I rewatched the Thin Man movies. I was like, hang on, Sam is just doing William Powell. <laughs> God, that's like realizing all of the references that Looney Tunes characters are doing to contemporary celebrities you have no idea about. <laughs> Ugh, that's everything that I was able to dig up about Kiss of the Vampire. I'm so confused. Good. <laughs> not even intellectually confused. I'm just emotionally confused. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about anything that you've just told me. <laughs> Great. All right. Mackenzie, are you ready to get into this? I'm ready to get into this. All right. Immortally Yours LLC presents. Oh, that's always a good sign. We open on a guy running frantically through the streets of Hamilton, Ohio. This, I thought the, when I started watching this, I was like, this can't be the right video. This is the start of a Charmed episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like a cold open, doesn't it? It feels like a cold open to a really bad 90s fantasy show. And he keeps looking over his shoulder while random loud occurs behind him. It sounds like he's being chased by low-budget versions of the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. A lot of stock sound effects in this movie. Oh, yeah. <sighs> so many. This guy tries to climb up a dumpster, but instead he falls over and then gets surrounded by vampires who are doing the roaring. Oh, man, we're going to get to how those vampires tend to feed later, and it's going to be great. That's great. We then smash cut to our lead. Oh, boy. Well, apparently, this is an opera house. Yeah, apparently. I thought it was a museum for the exterior. You know, the, the Hamilton, Ohio Opera House. Yeah. The Hamilton, Ohio Opera House that they definitely have. Mm-hmm. Hold on, now we're looking up Hamilton, Ohio Opera. <laughs> we're going to sound like real assholes when it turns out Hamilton, Ohio actually does have an opera house. Like a thriving opera scene. And it's, like, good. <laughs> so we're gonna find out. Apparently called the Robinson Schwinn Building. It's no longer an opera house, but it started as the Dixon Opera House. What? Oh, shit. After a fire, it was rebuilt as the Robinson Schwinn Building. Huh. It was later renamed the Globe Opera House, but after the fire, it was renamed the Robinson Schwinn Building. Okay. Well, that's a lesson to us, I guess. All right. <laughs> to be less of an asshole about Hamilton, Ohio. <laughs> However, it doesn't look anything like it does in the movie. So that's not the <laughs> interior then, or the exterior. It's not the exterior either, no. So there is an opera house, but this ain't it. Yeah, no dramatic staircases for drunk guys to fall down. <laughs> Our heroine Estelle arrives. She's in beige. Get used to that. She will be in yeah. beige for the duration the of this film. Of she wears a dramatic fur coat that is also beige. I do want to point out with Estelle that this is the face and body of Cat Hawks. I'm not sure this is the voice of Cat Hawks. Because yeah, Cat Hawks, like every other character in this movie, is aggressively ADR'd. I know we keep calling things unironic dark place, but this movie is unironic dark place. It is, though. It is, though. <laughs> no line in this movie is just like every single thing has been re-recorded and badly laid over. Yeah, because, you know, every single time there's an amateurish movie shoot, they always cheap out on the sound and they always have to ADR things in later. Mm -hmm. Like, I was watching some of this and John turns to me and points at what's happening on the screen. And he just looks at me and says, no Mickey Mouse stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is Estelle here for the opera in Ohio, but so are her parents, one of whom we'll never see again after this whole sequence is over. <laughs> and her fiancé... <laughs> <laughs> who is drunk and bitching about how 
What's the rush? The opera stops in 15 minutes. This dude is drunk and belligerent on the level of Raul from Love Never Dies. <laughs> yeah, he is not in this movie for very long. <laughs> he is here to turn to the camera and say, I'm a bad man. <laughs> I'm a bad boyfriend. I drink too much. <laughs> I'm a bad fiance. I'm a bad fiance and I'm cruel and the main love interest will put a slop to me. Estelle deserves better than me. <laughs> it's very fanfic. <laughs> it's very fanfic. It then suddenly flashes back to the guy who just fell off the thing and is being eaten by vampires. We see him. It's like a sex scene where you see like a hand come up and someone like lift their head and then fall, be pulled back down into bed. But in this case, it's the guy climbing up and then the vampires pull him down to keep eating him. They do a thing where they try to do one of those clever intercuts between two sequences that are visually similar but tonally distinct. They want to do a cut here with a dude screaming as he's trying to escape vampires and then cutting to a close-up of an opera singer belting out at full volume. Uh, but they don't do that because the opera singer hasn't started yet. No. <laughs> yeah, it's like someone badly trying to do NBC Hannibal, but not having the technical skills to pull it off. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, this opera singer is in a gorgeous dress and she's amazing. She is. Like, they just filmed an actual, like, probable, like, actual opera performance in this city. I was like, we're going to put it in our movie, okay? <laughs> Oh, so often did they say, we're going to film an actual thing and put it in our movie. <laughs> also, there's carpet on the stage in this theater. What's happening? <laughs> Drunk fiance is falling asleep and gulping at some liquor. I have a flask of liquor. I'm a drunk. Alex, Vampire San, is over in the worst wig. Oh, God. Yeah, it's... Oh, my God. Dollar Store Brandon Lee over here yeah. immediately draws Estelle's attention. And he's just staring over at our classy main character, Estelle. They're doing one of those, like, old movie lighting techniques where they shade all of his face except they light up his eyes. Yeah. Except they're not really doing it in a way that's, like, on purpose. We have 30 seconds, maybe a full minute of just them eye-fucking each other. And then finally, drunk fiancé leans over and goes, What the hell are you looking at? <laughs> and she goes, John? And he goes, Yes? And gets confused and stops talking again. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're gonna cut over away from this <laughs> sexy scintillating action <laughs> to the YWCA, where an old man talks to a small dog and then leaves the shot... And it's completely incidental. <laughs> <laughs> and a lady steps out of the YWCA right as Goon in a suit, who's, I think we've learned his name. Oh like, my god, this Goon is in so much of the movie, and I do yeah. not know his name. There are several interchangeable Goons. Yeah. As Goon steps out and walks up and is going, hey, Patty, can I give you a ride? And she goes, no, I'm just going to take the bus. How do you know my name? And he grabs her. She does the saddest kick in the balls and flees. It's unreal. That's my purse. I don't know you. That's my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he, he gives he gives chase on foot. He just walked out of a car. Patty runs up to a loading bay and asks for help. Please, he's trying to abduct me. This guy goes, hey, back off. So Goon pulls out a gun and kills all these people in the docking bay. And by that, I mean, Goon pulls out a gun. We hear some bangs and we watch some actors falling down. <laughs> we are six minutes in and it's already so much. 
Every time someone gets shot in this movie, the shot of them falling down, like the performance of them falling down is just, it's just really bad. <laughs> you know how the cast of Star Trek kind of had to pretend that their ship was being like shifted to the side or rocked and they just kind of like flailed around a little for funsies? Just but, imagine that, but without the enthusiasm. Yeah. Imagine they weren't professionals. <laughs> and did not care. No. <laughs> And every single one of them harbors the hope that this is going to be the most dramatic death scene ever. <laughs> so the guy who has been pursuing Patty here is she's like, please don't hurt me. And he's like, I'm not going to hurt you. They want you alive. So some cool human trafficking in the first six minutes of this romance. <laughs> For the dumbest possible reason. For the worst reason. <laughs> For the dumbest reason. We then flash back to the opera where John is falling down the stairs twice. Because you see, I don't know if you picked up on this, but he drinks. He drinks. <laughs> As they're walking, Estelle's dad is like, are you sure you want to marry him? And Estelle's like, well, daddy. And then John turns around and goes, why do I want to marry you? You mean nothing to me. And then punches her dad. And like the ADR in this bit in particular sounds weird and tinny. Like they didn't even get a good take in the studio. No. <laughs> so John punches the dad. Yeah. And then Alex, the man with the worst wig, shows up and he's just like, hey. Hey. John tries to punch him. He misses and flings himself into the banister on the stairs. And as he's being escorted away by security, Estelle helps her dad up. While showing no concern, she goes, are you okay, daddy? And they're just like, oh, thank you so much for your help, Alex. What did he do? <laughs> <laughs> did he do anything? I don't think he did anything. Thank you for standing there while my boyfriend knocked himself out. <laughs> Fiance, apparently. We will never see this fiance again, by the way. <laughs> no, we will never see him again. No, no. Series wrap on John the fiance. He's just gone from the movie. <laughs> we really would like to thank you for kindness. And then we smash cut to Alex and Estelle having dinner. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, the editing in this movie is so fucked. <laughs> the editing in this movie is so fucked. <laughs> Everything in this movie happens so much. And we are so interested in having scenes that last like less than a minute and are trying to tell you about a completely different plot happening elsewhere. Because like just as a little amuse-bouche in between <laughs> Estelle being asked to dinner and Estelle going to dinner is just like a police escort of some guys driving a car and apparently they're taking someone to surgery, someone named Victor, and he's rich and influential, just like organized crime. I don't know what that means. We're starting to see hints here of this movie's, I would say, major problem, which is that no one in this movie speaks like a human being has ever spoken <laughs> in the history of the entire world. Everything is overly verbose and like it reaching towards like being poetic, but is mostly just like somebody grabbed a thesaurus and decided to structure sentences in the most formal way possible. All of these characters talk like that guy at the LARP who thinks he's really good at role playing, but has never invested any effort in figuring out how actual human beings speak. I would just say that Kate Hawks is perhaps not the most gifted at dialogue <laughs> or anything. Perhaps. <laughs> just putting that out there. So we go to dinner and Estelle is like talks about her dad and exposits about her backstory a bit and how coming here with a fresh start for all of us, coming here to Ohio. Thank you for also writing that down. A fresh, exciting start in Ohio. <laughs> She goes on this long story about how she met her fiancé of 
We met whilst I was studying art in Paris. He was working for his father's firm in the city. And Alex goes, you're a very special lady. You deserve better. And then it focuses in on her and her heart is just like, she's clearly just breathing heavily like, oh my god, a man said I deserve better. <laughs> oh, I can't not f*** him. <laughs> Discount Brandon Lee is also like, says something really awkward about wanting to be her knight in shining armor. Oh, I wrote it down. I wrote oh, it down. Good. Oh, thank God. Good. I would like nothing more than to be your knight in shining armor, but in your current state of emotional vulnerability, such behavior would be inappropriate. <laughs> Yeah, that's another thing about the dialogue is that, like, everyone says, like, the most literal ass shit in terms of their, like, motivations and emotions. And also, immediately following up this line, Estelle's like, oh, you talk so strangely. And it's like, bitch, she talks the way everyone does in this movie. <laughs> he, he replies to this with, I'm a student of communication and never explains what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> that's my go-to explanation for everything now. I'm a student of communication. <laughs> There's even like this weird shit early in the conversation where she's like, so where are you from? And he's like, let's not talk about me. It's like, red flag, girl. <laughs> How did you know he was my fiance? Oh, I'm psychic. Never addressed. We gonna, we gonna follow up on that? Never addressed again. <laughs> Is this some Edward shit? Are you a sparkle vampire? You have to tell me if you're a sparkle vampire. <laughs> Otherwise, it's entrapment. <laughs> but then like after he's like, I'm a student of communication. He's just like, and I have to go now. Goodbye. Goodbye, I got a prior engagement. Bye! I'm not sure they've even had anything to eat. I think it's just been bread. Prior engagement is the worst vampire nightclub I've ever seen. <laughs> we suddenly snap cut to the hospital where Victor is being rolled through, and he shouts for its goon. And then we snatch cut to a dance club listening to a remix of The Twilight Zone by Two Unlimited. Is that what it is? I thought it was the Mortal Kombat Same! Scene. <laughs> it definitely has Mortal Kombat pits in it. It's a remix yeah. of The Twilight Zone by 2 Unlimited. Also, this movie marks the first time that I've seen a go-go dancer in granny panties. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the crowd... Because there are, like, some sexy ladies dancing. Sexy in sarcastic quote marks, by the way. They're dressed sexy. The rest of the crowd looks like my high school homecoming dance. <laughs> in jeans and nerd t-shirts and flannel. They are leaving so much room for Jesus in this room. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, you know how in movies, generally speaking, there's not, like, a dance track or something in these big sequences. People just kind of have to imagine what the beat is and just kind of gyrate appropriately. And, you know, sometimes you can tell, sometimes you can't. And this is one of the times when, oh, golly, you can tell. No two characters in this scene are on the same beat. <laughs> <laughs> they could have at least given them a click track or something. Good Lord. No two characters are on the same beat. No two characters in this scene are remotely dressed for the same type of party. We have, like, one lady dressed for a rave. And then we have the guy wearing a fucking Zelda shirt with jeans. It's wild. I don't know what's happening here. There's also a clown juggling in the corner. There's also a juggling clown. There's also just a clown. We're drawing attention to the clown, not just because what the fuck there's a clown, but also because the clown is actually an undercover cop. The clown is plot relevant. The clown is fucking plot relevant. How is that your undercover identity? <laughs> a clown at a party. 
Party. They said, we need you to get into this club. We need you to be inconspicuous. And he says, gotcha. I'll dress up like a clown and start juggling. <laughs> to be fair, if I were in the club and there were a guy dressed like a clown and juggling, I would be trying my damnedest not to make eye contact at any point. Because I know the moment I do, he's coming my way. <laughs> he's got a balloon animal with your name on it. Oh, God. He's going to do some awkward pantomime at you. It's like when you're at one of those live theater shows where they decide to like come down off of the stage and interact with the audience. You're like, oh, Jesus, fuck no, stay away from me. <laughs> a guy with a bad wig and a skeleton shirt tries to sexy dance to two ladies. The two ladies turn around and start grinding on him. And he's very pleased by this. We do a quick cut to the hospital where they're bringing in Patty on a stretcher and saying, new heart coming up. So I guess they just needed a donor. They needed a heart transplant for this 27-year-old man. <laughs> yeah. We then smash cut to one of the goons touching a girl's thigh, and then some more goons walk in and say, Victor and I are very pleased with your work. <laughs> See a pretty boy? This guy is not a pretty boy. <laughs> He's not. I know we've made jokes about, like, Kindred the Embraced, about, you know, all these vampires being just some guy, but the extent <laughs> to which every man in this movie is just some guy <laughs> yes. is truly astounding. <laughs> they are all, like, 9-7 okay face in here. None of them are, like, memorable. I genuinely th had trouble telling characters apart in this movie. They all have the worst mullets. Alex enters the high school homecoming dance as we flash <laughs> back to it. And the two sexy ladies guide other badwig into a room full of other people who are watching them dance on him while licking their lips. Yeah, we're in a very clearly VIP lounge, but it's more like it's a the feast stands for vampire here. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly the blood sprinkler system from Blade, is it? <laughs> no! The sexy ladies start like rubbing their hands all over badwig and going, ah, ah. Ah! And everybody else is watching this intensely, and then suddenly one of the girls starts roaring like a lion. <laughs> okay. okay. Like, she's about to start at the MGM title. This is the thing that Mackenzie and I always remember the most. This is how vampires <laughs> feed an immortally yours. What they do is they have a body on the floor, and all the vampires just get on their knees and crouch around it, put their heads down, and occasionally lift up their heads and roar like a lion. And by that <laughs> I mean the vampires all make lion sounds. It is all just stock audio of lions. <laughs> yes! It's like when you watch those YouTube videos of people who have like 12 dogs, <laughs> and it's feeding time. It's that. <laughs> And now you'll also notice, of course, that while they're all surrounding the entire body, there's only ever damage on the neck. So I guess maybe it's like a little conveyor belt. They just kind of slowly <laughs> rotate around. Everybody gets a bite. <laughs> Alex is also here. He's sitting in a chair and he looks hungry, but he is not going to eat this junkie. He's doing a lot of mouth acting in this scene. <laughs> so much mouth acting. They focus on his face of him going and just like making like absurd faces. I know other writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. <laughs> he looks like a cat that's trying to throw up. <laughs> he does though. Back at the high school dance and then suddenly the police walk in and demand everybody get on their knees and then one of the go-go dancers and the clown reveal themselves as cops. This is the most lackluster police raid I've ever seen in a work of fiction. <laughs> The clown, the clown cop. <laughs> the clown is an undercover cop. That was his cover. There aren't even any other clowns at this nightclub. He's the only clown at the nightclub. 
Club is a real sentence that you have to say about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. They shout about turning off the music, and then all the vampires roar and growl, and then decide they need to leave. (laughs) They just kind of, like, awkwardly leave the scene. You will notice in this movie that no one is ever rushing to do anything. They just kind of go. They just kind of stroll from one scene to the next. Yep. They end up outside the nightclub and there's a whole bunch of police cars pulled up. These are not vampires interested in preserving the masquerade. No, not at all. No. (laughs) They are not. They're just gonna walk around and roar at people, which looks very silly. After a while, Alex goes, I think it's time for us to leave. And he holds his hands out dramatically and they all turn into the fog machine. <laughs> yeah, it's not even missed. They turn into fog machine. It's unclear what he's doing here. Yeah. Is he teleporting them? The end of the movie would suggest so. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> he does a thing and they're gone now. And the clown cop is like, this is no drug bust. <laughs> Am I dreaming? And Lady Cop, who's the only other cop in here that seems to, like, be a character of some sort, says, You're not dreaming, Pete. We're dealing with a nightmare. Vampires. (laughs) Just immediately went to vampires. I kind of appreciate the storytelling efficiency here. Everyone immediately jumps to vampires. Every other movie has to meander through the thought process of that can't possibly be a vampire, must be something else. What is a vampire? Get on Google. Have to Google things, <laughs> Google things like monsters that drink blood, all that. <laughs> this movie just goes straight to, yeah, those are fucking vampires, dude. <laughs> and that happens every single time a character is informed of the existence of vampires. So are just like, vampire? Are you sure? Yeah. Oh. Okay. okay. End of conversation. <laughs> vampires then reappear in their house. A fancy mansion, I guess. Their suburban home. In Hamilton, Ohio. In Ohio. They sit in a room and they just kind of grouse at each other in their little nightclub goth outfits. (laughs) They basically just wait around for the arrival of a character whose role is never quite explained. No. This is Michael, who... I think he's supposed to be, like, a human familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's supposed to be, like, just a guy, but he works for the vampires. But yeah, Michael is actually, like, the only tolerable character in this entire movie. Yeah. (laughs) Here's what I love about Michael. We'll have to bring this up because of some shitty stuff that happens later in the movie. Michael's a little person. He's dressed like f***ing Van Helsing. He wears, like, a duster and a fedora. It's, It's great, great look. Michael is never not wearing a duster and a fedora, like a real fedora. (laughs) I looked up his IMDb just to get like some bio The guy who plays Michael has mostly just been in, you know, the kind of schlock like the Garbage Pail Kids movie, one of the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. As far as I can tell, this might be one of his more dramatic roles. But again, like, while he and every other character just kind of whispers stuff at the camera a lot, (laughs) Michael does actually seem to show some genuine affection, or at least act like there are feelings behind the words he's saying. (laughs) True. Like, he has to say some of the most absolutely hyper-literal bullshit in the entire world, but he is genuinely trying to imbue this character with something. Yeah. (laughs) He's doing his best here. And in the meantime, what his best looks like is turning to a whole bunch of goths and saying, hey! Idiots! Sun's coming up! Let's go! Yeah. Except he takes about 30% longer to say it and uses a lot of words that nobody ever does. Yeah, Uh that's his whole movie, though. (laughs) Then he just picks up an actual on-fire torch... To 
to escort them across a lawn to a mausoleum. To a graveyard to the mausoleum, he leads them into a room full of caskets. All of them get into their caskets. Only Alex gets to be in the casket that's laying down. The rest are propped against the wall. Oh my god, and it's like these incredibly long shots of the vampires being in coven. It's like, do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> we get to focus! They're, they're vampires! They they sleep in they sleep in co- coffins. Hey! Hey! Do you get hey, it? Vampires sleep in it. coffins! They sleep in coffins! They're vampires! We focus literally on each and every one as the coffin door closes on them. And it's for, like, these long five-second shots for each one. We don't have any names except for somebody Alex called Sebastian earlier. Why are we lingering on these people? We don't know them. (laughs) Well, you see, the movie's only an hour and 40 minutes long. I guess they had to pad for time. (laughs) The movie's a whole hour and 40 minutes long. You feel every minute of the hour and 40 minutes, but also, like, again, that joke from Dark Place, we were running up to seven minutes under, so everything's in slow motion. (laughs) (laughs) They do that, though. They have that later. Three weeks later. Three weeks later, outside an Avita hair salon. (laughs) Avita hair salon. That as far as I can tell, according to, look, a full third of the credits for this movie is just listing cops. The another third of the credits for this movie is listing hairstylists working for the Avita Fredericks Institute. <laughs> it is all hairstylists. <laughs> A huge block of people learning how to cut and style hair. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, this bit is filmed in Indianapolis. <laughs> what favor were they doing for whom? Because a couple of goons just enter an Avita hair salon. We pan walking all the way to the back to a hair washing station. Yeah, where Victor is. I guess this is what rich people do? <laughs> they get their hair done at an Avita institute where you can get things done cheaper. Because they're a student, yeah. <laughs> what? Oh. Maybe the Avita Hair Institute put some money in. I mean, they must have, right? <laughs> I love this stupid movie. <laughs> and then the goons just talk business, I guess? Yeah. Or something? They're just like, they've arrived. Yeah. I'm sorry to disturb you, but they've arrived. And Victor talks about furthering control of the Illuminati. Yeah, guys, this movie's Vampires versus the Illuminati. Vampires versus the Illuminati. With only the loosest possible understanding of what the Illuminati is supposed to be. <laughs> you know, that age-old rivalry between vampires, <laughs> vampires and, and the Illuminati. The Illuminati. The inclusion of the Illuminati makes this feel like somebody's Vampire the Masquerade campaign that got turned into a screenplay. (laughs) So unclear. Like, that has to be what happened, right? Or like somebody's Vampire LARP that they turned into a screenplay. I could see it. I don't know. I don't know. The Illuminati. Victor finishes getting his hair did by a student (laughs) and then does a little speech about how he's going to be like, he does a speech in front of a whole bunch of suits in like a Holiday Inn conference room. Quick check. I remember the credits. That may just be a Ramada Inn conference room. (laughs) My favorite thing about Victor when he does this little speech is that he clearly doesn't know how to move his hands during a speech. So he's doing a whole lot of weird pointing like he is directing traffic. (laughs) 
and speaking extremely vaguely about maintaining control and researching immortality in order to maintain control. Control of what? Via which? Doesn't matter. <laughs> the world? Countries? Don't worry about it. They're referred to as a cartel at some point. It's like when a 14-year-old writes a story in which a character is in a gang but doesn't know what gangs do. <laughs> they're a gang. They're a criminal. What do they do all day? They're, they're in a gang. They do a violence. They do crime stuff. They do crimes. Don't worry about it. Don't do crimes. Stay out of gangs, kids. So the vampire hunter. He's got a stake out with his hammer. He kills a guy. And we smash cut to lady cop going... This is Marshall Pope. He kills vampires. Oh my god. I genuinely thought that the vampire he was killing was Dime Store Brandon Lee. <laughs> I did too. I thought it was Alex. I think we're supposed to think that. I don't know. I can't tell any of these characters apart. At all. <laughs> and the best part about this footage is, first off, not only is this like a multi-shot reel here of him killing a vampire, but also... And it's supposed to be just something he filmed himself. He kills the vampire, looks at it, pauses and says, goodbye. <laughs> Not only did he film himself doing it, he got two angles on himself <laughs> doing it. One of which the camera must have been placed inside the coffin. They couldn't even figure out a cool guy line to say at the end of it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> How do you like your steak? <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. He didn't come up with a cool guy line and he brought a sizzle reel to the police or Interpol sent a sizzle reel <laughs> to the Ohio police. I just want to emphasize that like in a universe where people don't immediately buy into the fact that vampires exist, what this man is doing is sending videotape of himself murdering human <laughs> beings to Interpol, the international police organization. I just want to clarify that that's what he's doing. <laughs> In a movie with normal logic, this guy would be so on the run. <laughs> However, if you just tell someone in this world the vampires exist, they'll be like, mm, yeah, okay. Sounds good. Now we go to an art gallery with a very important painting. <sighs> Estelle in this scene too is she's like she's in an evening dress she showed up for her day shift at the art gallery in an evening gown yeah we find out that Estelle works at this art gallery and she's in like a shawl and an evening gown still beige and she's just trying to sell a customer some painting. You know, it's actually a steal at $12,000. The depiction of Estelle is like, you can tell that the producer and the writer are also this person <laughs> because there's never any moment in the movie where she is not like incredibly made up and pristine, even when she's just rolled out of bed. She is. She's so beautiful. Before we even realize Estelle is in this shot, Alex walks in, he finds this painting that's just a burst of yellow on blue, and he stares at it in shock. And then he turns and sees a ghostly boy standing next to him? This is never brought up again. There's a little boy who's a ghost who turns to him and also smiles, and he smiles at the ghost, and that is never explained <laughs> anywhere in this movie. <laughs> that is never explained. He's even credited as Ghost Boy. <laughs> Somehow I completely missed the ghost boy. How did that happen? It was only for like five seconds. <laughs> yeah. There's a little transparent boy. <laughs> okay, so so theories, theories. Let's workshop this. If this is a better movie, then hypothetically the ghost boy is like a memory of the last time he was human and could see the sun or something. 
maybe this is like the last shreds of his humanity or this is innocence or I don't know. I don't know. Why is there a ghost in this art gallery? (laughs) Is this his ghost? Is this the art gallery's ghost? This is like a drop in from somebody else's like World of Darkness campaign (laughs) for like one (laughs) session. (laughs) Alex hears Estelle and he turns and we see her talking to another customer and then he goes, boo. And she slowly turns around and smiles radiantly at him. Yeah, there's a solid beat of inaction before she turns around to be like, (laughs) oh, Alex. Also, every time she greets Alex, it's like a dog whose owner has gone to the grocery store and therefore disappeared forever. She's like, Alex. (laughs) Alex. He says, I want to buy this painting. And she goes, a little sunshine in your life. What? I mean, it's meant to like look like the sun, I guess. I guess. Honestly, when I was trying to remember this movie, I thought she painted it herself and therefore there was like... I thought she did too, yeah. An emotional connection, but no, she just sells it. Yeah. There's not even any way that she could like posit what the meaning of the painting is. Just, oh, it looks like the sun. He says, well, will you go to dinner with me? She goes, does that a prerequisite for you buying the painting? He said, yes. And she goes, then I accept. I, oh my god. Oh my, no. He buys the painting. She's like, I'll deliver it myself. And by buying the painting, he says, I'm going to buy this painting. And then she's like, oh, right. No, let's go to dinner. I'm leaving right now. Let me grab my coat. We haven't established that anyone else works at this gallery. We don't need to sign any paperwork or establish how you're paying for the painting. She was talking to like a whole other guy who was looking <laughs> at a painting. He can just go fuck himself, <laughs> I guess. We don't have to take any money or run anything through a point of sale system, establish a line of credit. I might just be locking this gallery up alone with this guy in here. Then she steps outside and is immediately mugged. <laughs> Instantaneously. With a gun. Literally two seconds after stepping. <laughs> and, and again, the editing on this is so fucking janky. You can't really tell what's happening. The ADR in this scene is particularly off. Oh my God. Oh God, the ADR. Lestelle is screaming at the top of her lungs, but her VO is just like, her voice is like somewhat raised. <laughs> oh, Please, someone help. The purse snatcher with the gun fires four shots into Alex. He fires four (laughs) times. By which I mean, we see him firing the gun four times and then we see Alex kind of fall over. But it's fine. He immediately gets back (laughs) up and he's like, whatever. And someone else, presumably a co-worker, comes out of the art gallery and is like, huh, you guys get shot or something? Hmm. You should like file a police report about that. And then they do. And then they do, you see them walking out of the police station. Like, well, good thing we just filed that police report. Like, what the f*** was that? Is, is this like a haze code thing where you have to... Now remember, if a character gets mugged in a movie, you got to show them walking out of police station after responsibly filing a police report. And the best part is that, like... Estelle tries to pick up from like the thread of the last scene, which was presumably hours ago because they just sat down and filed a police report. Yeah, which the cops are going to do nothing. Yeah. Nothing is going to happen. (laughs) And she's like, but you were super shot. What's happening? And he's like, well, I have to go. The night is almost over because we blew it waiting in the police station at night to file a police report for a mugging. (laughs) Which again, just to reiterate, nothing is going to happen. They will never, ever catch this guy. No. They won't even try. We just blew our entire night. We could have been doing some vampire mystique stuff. I could have been taking you out for another dinner. Nope. I must away. Yeah, we just spent the entire evening getting judged by guys with Punisher tattoos. And now I must away. (laughs) Estelle shouts after him, Alex, please wait. And then we 
shift to the most hotel-ass bar. Oh my god, okay, this bar, this bar, this bar is playing, like, honky-tonk country. I mean, it's clearly an assembled set, but, like, they also have, like, their decor is a guy playing the violin and a painting in the background. It is very unclear what the vibe (laughs) of this bar is meant to be, especially because it's apparently the cop bar, because lady cop and clown cop are here. I will note that he is no longer in a clown outfit, but he is the clown cop. This is a set designed by someone who has only the vaguest understanding of what cops and bars both are. (laughs) (laughs) And Lady Cop is bringing Marshall Pope to meet the clown cop. Vampire Hunter is here. He gives an elaborate backstory. He's just here now. I guess he flew in from Germany or whatever. My favorite part of this elaborate backstory is he's like, I've been hunting vampires for a very, very long time. And they ask, how did he get into it? And he goes, 10 years ago. And I'm like, is that a very long time? A very, very long time? Is that? I feel like every very counts for 10 years. <laughs> he's got to have been doing this for at least 20 years before he can say a very, very long time. Right, exactly. Yeah. He says something about how he makes specialty weapons to kill vampires. They're just pool cues. They're just sharpened yeah. pool cues. <laughs> they're just stakes, but long. Yeah, they're long stakes. It's just you tape a stake to the end of a hockey stick, which, you know, to be fair, that is a very <laughs> smart way to attempt to kill vampires. The premier reason that attempting to kill vampires with a stake usually doesn't work. It, the range and reach on a stake is very short. So taping it to the end of a hockey stick is actually a smart thing to do. But that is all he's doing is taping it to the end of a hockey stick. <laughs> and like he's talking about like, oh, his specialty weapons. And the clown cop is like, ha, I hope the weapons are nuclear. What? 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 <laughs> Excuse me, what? They're vampires. <laughs> what do you know about... Are you... What? Nuclear? Important question. What happens when you nuke a vampire? <laughs> the same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> Things get mildly radioactive for a while, and it's very bad for literally everyone in, a, in like, a wide radius. Please, someone. Nuke Ohio is what he is asking here. Which, to be fair. The state of Ohio. It's gotta go. <laughs> it's gotta, it, you know, nuking it might be an improvement. Considering this takes place in Ohio, I feel like there's a disappointing amount of, like, hell is real billboards, by the way. Oh, man. Okay. Maybe if they nuked specifically the Creation Museum. Oh, I'd be into that. But could they leave Cedar Point and Kings Island alone? <laughs> Just yes. as a favor. As a favor to us. They got some good roller coasters. We then smash cut to the vampires who are all sitting around. And Sebastian, they're like, you've been following Alex? And Sebastian's like, I no longer trust his judgment by getting involved with this mortal woman. Oh, like, they just gossip about Alex. And then they start talking about the Illuminati. Yeah. <laughs> he explains what the Illuminati are. Do you need to explain what the Illuminati are? <laughs> Apparently, yes. But this is the wrong explanation. Yeah, it uh, is. <laughs> this is the wrong explanation. This is an incorrect explanation of a fake concept. <laughs> First off, the leader of the Illuminati is Victor Price. This is the guy that we've seen around. Also, they own the Price Foundation, which is a research institute, hospital, something. Unclear. Where Estelle's dad works as a doctor? <laughs> Unclear. <laughs> and... The Illuminati are experimenting with super science to become immortal, and at some point they say they've abandoned age-ridden Africa for body parts and then move on to the next sentence, and I'm like, hold up. 
<laughs> what? Either they either say Asia and Africa or AIDS ridden Africa. I genuinely can't tell because this movie does not have subtitles on YouTube where I watched it. Yeah. They- and also they like, you could probably write a whole essay on how they're saying like, oh, instead of, you know, getting body parts from Africa and Asia, they're getting them from Western countries and this is somehow worse. <laughs> yep. What the f***? What's happening? Like, what the f***? What the f***? What the f***? And this isn't just in like, this is a throwaway line. What? You have to go back and explain that one, yeah. movie. What the fuck? It's fine cannibalizing people for body parts as long as they're not white people is the implication of this particular exactly. arrangement. Of what the just this horrible little two sentences right in the middle of this movie for you to go like, wait, what? <laughs> what did you just say? And then they're just going to move on and we're never going to explain it. Yeah, we're just never going to come back to that. I mean, all of the Illuminati members are like old Midwestern white businessmen in suits. So... Uh, Maybe? (laughs) Is this supposed to be saying something? I don't think so. These are all guys who 10 years down the road would be investing in Theranos as these guys deal. These are a bunch of guys who are like, they look like they belong to a rotary club for hospital CEOs. (laughs) They're also like, okay, so is it still connected to the Illuminati at all? And he's like, no, I don't think so. That almost feels like a meta way to say like, so is this plot connected to this one at all? Not really. No. (laughs) And then Alex is like, hello, you've been spying on me. And he's like, well, you've been spying on me. (laughs) And then he just sort of sits in a chair and murmurs because all of his lines are delivered in a murmur. The Illuminati should be immortal so they can live in the darkness as we do. (laughs) What? 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 (laughs) What? And then he's like, I can't continue this scene. I have to leave. I have things to do. And the things to do are going outside of the patio and brooding out there. And the other vampires are like, let's go get some food. And by food, they mean people. And by people, I mean actors pretending to be teenagers who are absolutely not teenagers. Like, there's a brief conversation with Michael shows up and he's like, hey, by the way, just so you know, this is my character motivation. I am loyal to you. And I'll do whatever you want to do instead of the other vampires. And he's like, thank you. I can't get Estelle out of my mind. (laughs) There's like a throwaway line that actually makes this character kind of interesting, which is him talking about the fact that he's he's really loyal to Alex because Alex respects him while all the other vampires treat him like shit. And I was like, oh, I, I kind of like this angle of marginalized person is incredibly like affectionate and loyal towards monstrous character because monstrous character shows them respect where they otherwise don't get it. And then I realized that's just the shape of water. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that why I like it is it's just the shape of water. <sighs> and then I was sad that I wasn't watching the shape of water. It's almost like textual and metatextual otherness goes hand in hand in literature. <sighs> oh, why can't we just be watching the shape of water right now? <laughs> Egg. But yeah, the actor is playing Michael is clearly trying to imbue this character with something. Not necessarily succeeding, but it's very difficult to succeed with this material. He's doing his best with what he's got, I feel. Yeah. Maybe more yeah. so than anyone else in this movie. It's true. Besides Dr. Dad. Dad. Okay, so these teens, though. <laughs> these teens. A visibly 40-year-old woman saying, this will be the second time <laughs> I'm grounded this month. <laughs> They're just meeting next to, like, a sconce in the middle of a park with some lawn chairs. Is this the Midnight Society? Are you going to tell us a scary story about Zebo the Clown? Is this Are You Afraid of the Dark? What's happening here? What are you even (laughs) doing out here? 
I feel like they're out here to smoke weed, but the guy who shows up later is the guy who had the weed. I think that's the vibe of this scene. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Yeah, no. Josh, the guy who shows up later, definitely seems like the one who is bringing the weed. <laughs> they're smoking a joint. Uh, for this, this, the Ohio just jumped out. <laughs> it did, actually. This is very also Indiana tea. It's the Midwest. <laughs> You're just going to go smoke a weed. You got to go to the woods and smoke a weed. Yep. In the middle of the night. Otherwise, you'll be grounded again <laughs> by your mom, who is ostensibly older than you. <laughs> you 40-year-old person. Visibly 40-year-old woman <laughs> talking about being grounded. <laughs> then we cut over to Estelle's house. We're given a lot of establishing shots here for locations that were never totally clear to whom they belong or... And we never go back to them half the time. We never go back to them. Most of these houses also look identical. They're just like large suburban homes. But anyway, I guess it's Estelle's house and her dad's house, but her mom doesn't seem to be in this movie anymore. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> She's on a laptop on a teeny tiny desk, and you would think that this was a tense internet research sequence. It's not. It's not. It's just her doing some work. We never find out what she's looking up. No. Alex just rings the doorbell and she's just like, yes, I'll answer the door in the middle of the night. <laughs> like if her dad lives in this house, which later scenes indicate he does, how did that not wake him up? Like I remember when I was a teenager ordering a pizza at like 2 a.m. and going to sit on the lawn so the pizza guy wouldn't ring the doorbell and wake my family up. Yeah. It's not like he's knocking on the door. This is a full on ding dong. Yep. And ding dong, if you may not know, is meant to be heard in the whole house. Because <laughs> it's supposed to say somebody's at the door, go answer it. Unfortunately, this is happening after dusk. Yep. And no, Estelle just straight up goes to the door, still in beige, and Alex just walks in. I guess he doesn't have to be invited in. <laughs> unclear which vampire rules apply in this movie. Extremely unclear. So they talk and it's mostly like Alex being like, I want to be with you, but we can't uh, unless your father can find a way for me to live as a human being. I just... No, I can't kiss you. Oh, I'm kissing you. Oh, I can't kiss you. Okay. First off, that is probably the one that is the most like, like the writer wrote this movie for herself part, which is like, kiss me. I can't kiss me. I can't. <laughs> also, like, okay, two problems here. First off, he's like, meeting you is like finding a part of myself that's been missing for many lifetimes. I want to be human and be with you. Like, okay, first off, you've spent a cumulative, like, six hours together and four of that was filling out a police report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was like, you would actually give your metallic to get left me. You've known each other for ten minutes. Calm the fuck down. And two, she's still engaged. As far as we know, yeah! We have not seen a sequence where she gives back an engagement ring or anything or talks to her fiancé again. She's still engaged and she never mentions this guy ever again. <laughs> <laughs> He's just gone. It's great. <laughs> He's just been vaporized. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we had him in the whole opening of the movie just to show that she was better than a drunk. <laughs> It's like a more toothless version of that sequence in a romance novel, like a badly written one, where the heroine gets like sexually assaulted for like half a second just so the male lead can pop in and, and like save her so we know that he's a good guy. Except this is just 
I went to the opera with my drunk fiancé, and Alex doesn't drink. And now I don't have a fiancé anymore. And now I don't have a fiancé anymore. <laughs> he got disappeared by the Illuminati. He was probably one of the unwilling organ donors. He's just fucking vanished. One hopes. <laughs> one hopes. So yeah, there's the whole kiss me, I can't, and they ba- briefly kiss and he turns away because he wants to eat her or something. I don't know, man. It's unclear why he can't kiss her. And it's unclear. We then smash cut to the cops finding the teens. The quote-unquote teens. Yeah. And, like, they even did the whole thing where they, like, surrounded the entire body, but the only damage is on the neck. (laughs) The vampire hunter is like, yes, this is a vampire cult. They are connected to killings in France and Germany. What? 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 A cult? A vampire cult? (laughs) What? I suspect the word coven was used at some point, and then this being Ohio, they were like, no, that's too satanic. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes on to talk more about vampires, and then he's like, just like any other animal, vampires mark their territory. This man knows what vampire piss tastes like. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he's definitely talking about the vampires pissing on a tree, right? (laughs) Yeah, that is what he's talking about, yeah? Like, we're all agreed that that's what's going on? Yes. Yeah. We then smash cut back to Estelle, but now it's morning over breakfast with dad. And she's like, I need your scientific opinion. I'm madly in love with Alex. And he goes, scientifically speaking, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. The way that she tries to broach this topic is apropos of nothing. As you know, there are some strange occurrences in science these days. Which is maybe one of the best as you know lines I've ever heard. <laughs> Sounds like that she's desperately trying to, in the most roundabout way, come out as trans to this guy. <laughs> just honestly, like a strange occurrence in science. That would just be right at home in, in like a trans bio on Twitter or something. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like beetlejuice i myself am strange and unusual except this and she says dad and dad's like hmm okay sure okay after only minimal interrogation i will immediately buy into the idea that vampires are real (laughs) he says that his research confirms vampires are real (laughs) that's just something he knows that's just something he had in his back pocket. He just knew he wasn't telling her, I guess. He's just like, oh, yeah, my research does confirm vampirism is real in my research into eternal life. Like, what is this man's backstory? <laughs> you discover vampires are real. You don't immediately have an existential crisis. What is your fucking deal, guy? He just shrugs <laughs> and he's like, yeah, OK. That, that tracks. Vampires are real. Okay. Sure, sounds you, great. You, the, the implications for this man's characterization are immense. The vampire that you've spent six hours total with, four of them in a police station, he wants to like give up his immortality to be with you. Okay, we can. Yeah, let's science it up, baby. Yeah, we can work with this, babe. Let's get your boyfriend so he can age and die. <laughs> It'll be great. I do kind of appreciate the novelty of like, it's not that she wants to be a vampire, it's that he doesn't. <laughs> Again, it's like it is such a ladies edition writer lead producer. (laughs) And then the heroine was so beautiful and perfect and elegant that he wanted to give up being an evil blood-sucking vampire so he could be with her. (laughs) She can fix him. She can 
fix him. <laughs> On the other end of the scale, you got Stephanie Meyer over there writing Bella. Being like, all right, bite up. Chop, chop. Chop, chop. Bite me. Just tapping her watch like I'm not getting any younger, fucker. <laughs> I am literally not getting any younger. Bite me, baby. <laughs> we smash cut to two goons asking each other for a favor. Yeah, they're just like, they're just hanging out. And then we smash cut to an iguana on a table. Yeah, there's just a, a long <laughs> shot of an iguana. And at first you're like, is that a stuffed iguana? And then it moves and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> And there are people talking over the shot of the iguana, and you're like, is the iguana talking right now? <laughs> no, the iguana's in a separate room. It's literally just 60 seconds of staring at this fucking iguana. No one mentions the iguana. It's not like the iguana is, I don't know, someone who's been turned into an iguana. It's not a fucking metaphor. It's just an iguana. So yeah, no, it's just a lizard. It's just a lizard. Someone's like, we can't go on like this anymore. Just a long shot of an iguana. Someone just says, we can't go on like this anymore. <laughs> and you're like, to the lizard? <laughs> What's the lizard doing? <laughs> we never see this lizard again. <laughs> go back to the lizard. <laughs> Alex shows up and he's like, I don't want to be immortal to the other vampires. And he just like, he's got that sun painting on the wall and he just kind of paws it. <laughs> just like pats the painting like i want to see the sun okay i want to swim in the ocean run in the forest there's literally nothing stopping you from doing that right now the ocean and the forest they do not disappear when the sun comes up yeah like ocean i guess like if we're unclear on like whether running water is a problem for vampires run in the forest you can just do that <laughs> i'm pretty sure you can just do yeah, that pretty sure at any time just put on some like Fucking running shoes or something if you're gonna do that. Get a pair of trainers, my guy. Get out of the goth clothes. Go for a jog. <laughs> He's gonna go for a jog in those goth dress shoes and immediately roll his ankle and it will be amazing. <laughs> it's suddenly a smash cut to a shootout between the Ohio police and I don't know what these guys are. There's several scenes in this movie that are like five seconds long and they involve the cop and or a vampire hunter sitting in a car and being grumpy about sitting in a car. Yeah. It's like a driving and parking scene, but for a cop stakeout. Like, this is just a scene from a whole different movie in this movie. I don't know why this is here. I don't know why it's here either. And then, yeah, no, there's a drug bust at, like, a recycling center? Yeah. It's a really long one. It's implied there's cocaine in the recycling. Yeah. So they're doing a drug bust for coke. And, um... Illuminati deals coke. The Illuminati deal in coke. <laughs> you think they do, like fancier drugs not just everybody in the 80s was doing it drugs <laughs> there's also like a point where they capture someone after the shootout is over and he's like you can't touch me i know my rights i will pursue this if you try and do anything to me and she's like oh yeah here's another charge and she just like kicks him while he is shot defund the cops in the ribs a cab defund the police a cab so a cab I would also like to note that during this whole sequence where a whole bunch of cops arrived for the shootout, my dog Brunhild was barking a lot. She was very <laughs> upset. And good Brunhild says A cab. Good job, Brun. <laughs> you were raising that dog correctly. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to get her to stop barking at horses, but I'm not gonna do anything about the barking at cops. <laughs> oh no, my dog. Oh, I Oh, I'm, gosh, I'm sorry. I don't know why she's doing that. 
Oh no, you better keep your distance just to be safe. Just imagine cop on a horse. (laughs) Anyway, enough about my adorable dog who hates cops. I have one bit in my notes here that the section is titled Illuminati Victor is mad. And then there's a bullet point that says a scene happens. And that's it. I recall earlier he was in a big soaking tub. He's being talked to about, like, I guess the cocaine bust or something. And he's steepling his fingers in the tub. He's steepling his fingers in the tub, which is one of the silliest things I've seen in a while. It's a choice. A choice was made. It was not a good one. They keep interrupting this dude while he is doing some me time, while he is getting his hair did, while he's taking a soak. He had open heart surgery three weeks ago. (laughs) He had open heart surgery three weeks ago. We never talk about that. His sternum is still held together with wire, guys. (laughs) (laughs) He's just trying to relax. At this point, we are going to go through the rest of this movie, mostly shot inside an office. Yep. But we're going to pretend very hard that this office is a hospital room. (laughs) And that there is equipment in this room that is making noise. You can't see it. We're never going to see this equipment. You're just going to have to take our word for it that it's there. (laughs) Like, you know how minimalist plays can be where they'll pretty much just give you a couple of pieces of set dressing and your mind fills in the rest. They really want you to do that here, but with (laughs) clearly an office. They move the desk out of and put in a gurney. Alex is going to be unconscious for most of the rest of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly we see Estelle and Michael worrying over him and talking to Dr. Dad. Is he going to be okay? Try not to worry. Dr. Dad coach Oleander Morbius is just in a lab coat staring at him. We then smash cut to Clown Cop saying my favorite line of this film. Oh, please. I missed a great drug bust the other day because of these damn vampires. <laughs> oh, God. I noted that line, too. It's just so good. <laughs> His read of it is so good, too, because there's no actual malice. It's like he's just blankly reading off a page. Marshall, I missed a great drug bust the other day because of these damn vampires. At this point, it's going to be extremely unclear how much time is passing between scenes. So I guess it's been a couple of days since the drug bust. And now at this point, while they're sitting in the car, the vampires are just walking around again. They just kind of go for strolls. Yeah, this guy walk around. And the clown cop puts the radio up to his mouth and he says, like, what must be on the page, like, yeah, this is what cops say. This is how cops sound. He's like, (laughs) guys, guys, target is approaching. Shooters move in now. (laughs) And then there's like a fight scene. Yeah, where they kill some vampires. One of the vampires does a spin kick. And one of the vampires is like, get us out of here like Alex would have done, Sebastian. And Sebastian is like, you know, I don't have the same powers as Alex. What powers do you have, Sebastian? Unclear. Hey, Sebastian, what what is your deal, Sebastian? Exactly. Also, I just love, <laughs> I feel like the entirety of the problems with the screenway is perfectly encapsulated by the exchange. Get us out of here like Alex would. You know, I don't have the same powers that Alex does. <laughs> Everything wrong with that movie is in those two lines. Like, okay, so apparently turning into mist is not a thing all vampires can do. Just Alex? Just the lead vampire? Apparently. And he can only do it as, like, a group casting? It's it's you and up to six allies if you're choosing? (laughs) 
and then Sebastian's plan is instead, let's go. They just walk away. So they just turn around and they saunter away. <laughs> they just leave. They just leave after two of them are killed. They just do a leave. And like their leaving is very much just like walking briskly in another direction. The cops just let them leave. <laughs> oh my God, this is so fucking dark place. <laughs> this is so fucking dark place. <laughs> it is though. This this movie was written by Garth Marenghi. How is that possible? <laughs> Oh, the special effects would be a lot better if Garth Marenghi was doing this one. We then smash cut back to the hospital where we see Victor's been told that a vampire is being operated on and he's being let in by his janitor? Question mark? Yeah, who looks distressingly like Peter Capaldi to the point where I felt that I needed to check. (laughs) It's not. This Uh, dude has like wild hair, a really gaunt face, big stringy gray hair that's all poofed out and like... I guess he works here. I guess. He just sort of shows up looking at someone through some blinds and yeah. then... And then reports it to Alex. To Vincent? Or Victor. To Vic- Vic- whatever his name is. Victor? I think, I think you're I right. I can't tell any of these characters <laughs> apart. I think you're right. I think it's Victor. So Victor walks into the room where Dr. Dad is working on Alex and Michael and Estella are asleep on a couch. There's also like... There's a bit right before that, after the guy tells Victor about the vampire and he leaves the house, I guess he's on the payroll because he talks about getting a big check. <laughs> you get the scene of like the not Peter Capaldi spying on them, and then immediately cut to a scene where Victor is saying, thank you for that information, <laughs> dude. <laughs> it's the most clumsy, hyper-literal filmmaking I've ever seen in my life. At the start of this movie, I was pretty sure that the screenwriter had never read a book. I'm pretty sure now at this point that the screenwriter has also never seen a movie. (laughs) (laughs) And they talk about like, okay, now we have to find someone named Rex, who is, I think, one of the goons. The cops had Rex. I think he was at the drug bust. And now they have moved him from the hospital to... A mental institution. Reasons unclear. (laughs) So we're going to have a couple of scenes of some guy named Rex in a very cool and not at all incredibly sensitively portrayed mental hospital. Yep. And a lady cop is there. And I guess he has to give information about the Illuminati. I don't know how this plays into either of the plots happening here. (laughs) I don't think he's a vampire. It doesn't really become relevant either. How come this is the character that we have to definitely keep track of what happens to him as opposed to, you know, the main character's fiance? (laughs) Where is he? Why are we spending so much time on Rex of all people? Rex doesn't have a rich inner life. (laughs) So yeah, when Victor finally walks into the clinic and then we're like, oh my god, finally, these two plots are like connected somehow. And then you know how earlier Annie mentioned that the fact that Michael's a little person is relevant because of some nasty stuff that happens? This is why. Victor is a douchebag. He just says some, like, offensive bullshit about Michael. And Estelle is like, don't speak to him as if he's an animal. He's a good, loyal person and a wonderfully human being. All right, just throwing that guy under the bus so Estelle can be a good person. Yes. Yeah. Just using this specifically so Estelle can have the moral high ground. Yeah, it's some horseshit. Dr. Dad Morbius talks about his experiments. I guess he's been experimenting on... Yeah. On, 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 on Alex? Plasma. We never 
never see him do anything. There's not really a science montage. He looks at a microscope once later. But otherwise, they're just kind of looking at Alex on a gurney, not even like a real hospital bed. (laughs) They can roll him out at any time. And sometimes there's a bag of blood attached to him or standing next to him. And Victor's like, I'll fund this whole thing if you promise me that you'll use your new research to give me immortality. He doesn't say make me a vampire. He just wants the immortal part. Then we smash cut back to the vampires gathering around, whereupon the author realizes, shit, I've never introduced these vampires other than Sebastian. I need to make sure all their names are said as rapidly as possible. And so we have that by like, Alex was right. We have nothing but doctors to look forward to. Sylvia, how dare you imply Alex was right? Imply? Imply? Sylvia didn't imply anything. No. <laughs> no, she just said it. That's not what imply means. She just said it. Sebastian, she mourns our friend jennifer r.i.p jennifer <laughs> mourn you till we join you <laughs> jennifer the vampire yeah had to clarify our friend not just she mourns jennifer she mourns our friend jennifer you know jennifer you know our friend jennifer right her name was jennifer and then they just go around doing this where it's like i suppose you're right tyler <laughs> like that. are we just now learning these characters names yes, yes. Uh. Mostly these vampires just stood around and, like, kind of crouched a little and opened their mouths. (laughs) And they just walked around doing that. They never even really attacked anybody. They just sort of walked around crouching and roaring. Because they're like lions or something. (laughs) We cut to some kind of warehouse or something. (laughs) And we have the vampire hunter who says... Just like bloodhounds, vampires have the uncanny ability to track down any victim they want. So there's some lore. Are we implying that bloodhounds, that their ability to follow sense is uncanny? Yes, we are. Are we implying that bloodhounds have supernatural powers? We are implying that bloodhounds have supernatural powers and just choose to track down someone, and then they do. Okay. Adding to the list of things the screenwriter has never done, uh, encountered a dog. (laughs) And also, because this movie can't focus on any scene for longer than three minutes, we smash cut over to Dr. Dad again, who goes, I figured it out! Vampirism is a virus that makes the blood all eat itself inside the body! Yeah, that's a vampire- that's a vampirism is! (laughs) Sure. Sure. Fine. It's still like you've determined the cause of his vampirism, and it's like, yeah, it's because he's a vampire. <laughs> his cause of vampirism is that he's a vampire. <laughs> it's a blood-eating virus? Yeah. It consumes all blood, including his own. So I just have to get rid of the virus, he says, never explaining how he intends to get rid of the virus. <laughs> Guys, I don't think this guy is an epidemiologist at all. <laughs> I don't believe that man's ever been to medical school. (laughs) I think this is just a Morbius. I don't think he's a doctor at all. (laughs) I think he just morbs. (laughs) He's hiding the suckers on his hands. (laughs) God, the plasma suckers. Much less frightening than somebody biting somebody in the neck. Definitely. Good job. I took it through my hands. I could feel it coursing through his skin right into my fingers. I must keep trying to rid myself of this horrible need for plasma. Good job, standards and practices. Then we flash back to that warehouse where Marshall Pope is running around with his steak gun. Yeah, the vampires are here. 
The vampires show up and now the movie ran short. So a lot of things are going to be in slow motion here. Like a vampire launches in and says, prepare to die in another language for some reason. (laughs) Possibly French. Unclear. It's all in slow motion and there's like a voice effect. So you cannot tell what anyone is actually saying here. This is just the one point that the movie provided real subtitles. He kills that vampire. The other vampires show up roaring and growling and hissing. And we see in slow motion him lift a whistle to his mouth and turn slowly and blow it. And that's in slow motion. And again, the vampires aren't attacking anyone. The first one that spoke in a different language did. The vampires aren't attacking anyone. They're just standing there. (laughs) Growling. And growling and making lion sounds with their big teeth. (laughs) And that's it. And and then like, and then there's a big fight. Yeah, Except for it keeps cutting, so you don't really know what's going on or who's doing what. Or where they are. This entire seek was just slid off my brain. Yeah. I can't. There's more vampires, like, growling in slow motion, and I'm not sure if we're supposed to understand them or not. <laughs> I sure couldn't understand them. I mean, the YouTube subtitles are already way out of their depth, but they were trying their best here to auto-generate, and they had no f***ing clue. <laughs> A vampire leaps out on Lady Cop and her face is like weirdly distorting like they put a filter on it and Lady Cop kills her. And then the sun comes up and all the vampires melt. Wait, they do? Yes. No, 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 they, no that's well, not what happens. No, 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 no. Oh! First off, they have the sun lamps from Blade 2. Oh, okay. They have sun lamps. First off, somebody stabs- Mackenzie, how many times have you seen this movie? <laughs> My brain oh, always zones just... out during this combat scene, okay? You did just say that this entire fight scene slid off yeah. you. Why would it stay in Mackenzie's brain? I feel like Mackenzie has much more dedication to remembering what happens in this movie than I do. The action sequences, though? All I remembered was at one point there was an action sequence, I zone out, and then I come back to it and a vampire is on the ground and, and bad smoke from After Effects is coming off the vampire's body. I mean, that's- You know what? That's fair. <laughs> like, first off, all right, the vampire hunter does get stabbed to death here and his death takes yeah. like a full minute. I swear to God. A full fucking minute, yeah. And they keep using the same reaction shot of his corpse yeah. like a bunch of times. <laughs> So the vampire hunter's dead now. Most of the vampires, except I think two, are out. They decided to do a whole fight sequence instead of just turning on the flood lamps. (laughs) Yep. So apparently these are vampires who can't stand UV lights. Not necessarily direct sunlight. The rules here are very unclear. This is exactly the same wall of sun lamps from Blade 2, though. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I recognized this immediately. I was like, oh, they did that in Blade 2. I mean, look, you do a vampire nightclub, you do a wall of sun lamps. What if Blade 2, but they were all white and they kissed a beautiful woman? (laughs) (laughs) And now we're back in the hospital for like five seconds. Yeah, that fight scene took like 25 minutes. It's so boring. (laughs) It's so long. Alex is awake and he says something about the Illuminati being a worldwide cartel because they woke him up to explain that like the Illuminati's bankrolling the immortality shit. Then they ask us to keep track of Rex again. And then we flash to Rex who's told that Interpol is going to move him to England to keep him safe. Don't bring him here. We go back to the Illuminati who are having another business meeting and then somebody kills the guy with the the, who looks like Peter Capaldi. (laughs) And then we cut back to Rex in the hospital who just for a second, Rex is reading like a comic book. It looks like some kind of like gritty comic book, like a like. And he's like chuckling at it. He's having a chuckle. So maybe the prop master got him the wrong kind of comic book. They were like, 
<laughs> and no, he's supposed to be reading like a funny like like newspaper comics. He's Give supposed to be Archie. getting into Garfield. <laughs> yeah, no, this looks like it's it's legitimately a copy of the boys, I think is what this is. <laughs> chuckle and they say uh okay rex somebody's here for you and he goes outside where he gets some cops and they put him in the back of a car and he's like so moving me to england huh and they're like that was the wrong answer because it turns out they work for victor and so they suffocate him with a plastic bag over the head and then later the real cops come in and they're like oh we're here for rex and the nurse is like oh yeah he literally just left a couple minutes ago you could probably still catch him they're like huh Eh. hot beans Oh, well. Not our problem. Ah, oh, beans. Not our <laughs> problem anymore. Whoever it was saved Interpol a lot of money. Oh, well. Well, he's probably dead. That's not our problem anymore. <laughs> it's fine. We weren't depending on him to testify or anything. <laughs> Good job, cops. Considering, like, a full third of the people appearing in this movie were cops. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That seems accurate. Yeah. That's, this, is, this is not an inaccurate reaction to finding out that the guy you're supposed to have in custody is dead. We cut back to the lady cop who seems to be taking some flack from this on the phone from somebody. And she's like, yes, it is very embarrassing. And then she hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing. That's a word for it. She hangs up the phone and she's mad. And clown cop is also there. And he makes a bunch of gestures in this brief conversation <laughs> with a yellow see-through floppy disk for some reason. And we never find out why he's holding it. It's not significant at all. He just had it in his hand when they were shooting. And then he just did his scene with it. <laughs> you think that maybe there'd be something on the yellow see-through floppy disk. <laughs> no, he was just fiddling with it in one of the takes, so now thanks to continuity, it has to be in all of the takes. <laughs> That's dumb. This movie doesn't have that level of attention to detail. Uh, no. So after that, we just cut back to Victor, who I guess has just come out of immortality surgery? And he sits up and goes, that was a delicious sleep. I am firm and confident. <laughs> I feel wonderfully well. All the other Illuminati guys are all like, yes, we're extremely vigorous and strong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like humans talk. I guess they must have all had like transfusions or something. They're completely dressed. I'm not sure what surgery just happened. Yeah, what kind of invampiring process <laughs> happened here, if any? How did you vamp them up? How did you invampen these men? <laughs> it's vamping time. Is that anything? <laughs> Is that anything? <laughs> Is it anything? <laughs> Estelle's like, anyway, so it's going to take a few hours to completely take effect. Why is Estelle here? I don't know. Why isn't her doctor dad here? The guy who actually did the procedure. Why isn't the doctor here to explain what just happened? Instead, Estelle, his daughter who runs an art gallery, is here. <laughs> and Victor's like, okay, well, we'll go sh hang out at my mansion until everything takes effect. And they're like, how do we know it's going to work? And he's like, take Estelle with you. So I guess Estelle is just taking hostage. Yeah. And this is the point where I have to wonder, like, where is literally anybody else who works at this facility? Where? Yes. Literally anyone. Anybody. <laughs> it's a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> there are like five more scenes of the cops waiting in a car somewhere and being grumpy about it. And all of them are sleeping. <laughs> Victor tells Goon to go and kill the vampire. How do I do it? Stick to the heart. Stick to the heart. Yeah, he says while taking out a... <laughs> rack from a closet and then starting to carve it with a pocket knife we find out it's a whole long scene with this goon <laughs> going into a closet finding a dowel rod and starting to sharpen it with i'm pretty sure the flat part of his pocket knife it is an interminably long shot <laughs> we don't 
don't even know this guy's name, I don't think. Why are we spending this much time with him? (laughs) Well, they were still running 10 minutes under. (laughs) Interpol's still all unconscious. They wake up to watch them guide Estelle and are like, should we do something? Nah. (laughs) Like they are watching a woman get kidnapped. Yeah. Then we smash cut to Alex's house where he's doing a presentation. Oh, no, 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 not yet. Not oh, okay. Yet. Because we have to go back to the hospital room because the guy who just sharpened a dowel rod tries to stab Alex. Oh, right. And Alex wakes up from it. Like, they do a little combat scene and then, like, there are more goons who try to go after Dr. Morbius and Alex and Michael as they try to leave to go get Estelle. The goons show up at the front doors of the facility, but they are stopped by pushing what's very obviously a pull door. <laughs> And then, like, as they're finally getting out and escaping into the parking lot, they're like, oh, no, this is the only part of the movie when we have to go very quickly. So in, without even looking at him or asking him, they both pick up Michael on, by oh the God, arms and that. just, like, carry him over to the car, which is like, fuck you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> f*** off. Like, genuinely f*** off movie. And then they put him in the backseat. <laughs> Alex puts him in the backseat and then claims shotgun, which, come like, on. Like, what the f***? And then we switch to Victor's PowerPoint presentation in his old TV. It's like a hotel television. His presentation is to try to get Estelle to fall in love with him? Because it's a whole bunch of money? Yeah. He's like, Estelle, why waste your time with Alex when I have money? <laughs> it's just a list of his bank accounts with dollar amounts next to them. <laughs> Look at all this. Don't you want to f*** me now? <laughs> Like, where did this come from? This man has not shown interest in her before. These plots have not converged in such a way. This isn't like a love triangle. (laughs) This is just a dude who's like, hey, what's up, beige lady? You want (laughs) to f*** me? Check out these numbers. (laughs) And then she's like, I love Alex with or without money. He's the only man for me in the world. Aren't you engaged? (laughs) Where's John? Where's John the drunk? Where's John? Well, all of his organs are in the various guys in this scene right now. (laughs) Except maybe the liver. I think they left that one. (laughs) I think you're right. Alex, Michael, and Dr. Dad all show up. So Goon is like, I failed to attack them. (gasps) Somebody's here. We have to handle this. And everybody rushes outside and just leaves Estelle there. Well, some of the goons just go outside to have a nap near the pool. (laughs) Shoot some dude. Estelle, meanwhile, who, as Mackenzie said, has been left completely unguarded, <laughs> she just pops open the DVD player and takes the little disc that has all of his bank accounts on it. <laughs> That's how things work. I guess that doesn't just contain a picture of all of his bank accounts. It contains all of his bank information <laughs> and all of the legal paperwork required to have all that bank information and all of his offshore accounts. And then she just tucks it in her bra. What matters is we're about to get to the best ending of any movie. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody runs outside near the pool. And Illuminati is like, hi, you think you can fight us? We've achieved- Yeah, all the vampires are dead now, I think. We've achieved immortality. And Estelle goes, Alex want to give you immortality knowing you'd eventually destroy mankind. It's unclear exactly whether or not Alex gave them immortality. (laughs) I think the movie is going to tell us in a second that he did. It is framed as though they had some kind of a cunning plan to trick the Illuminati, but 
We're never told what that was. Maybe that's what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. So then the cops show up because they finally woke up and, and ran in. And Alice goes, well, I guess it's time to do this. And he holds his arms out and the fog machine starts. It's like the beginning of the movie when the mist and now he's doing it here. And when the fog clears, everybody's sitting there smiling as all the Illuminati and Alex are gone. And you're like, what the fuck? Okay, okay, it took me It took me a minute to realize that all the Illuminati guys were gone. <laughs> were gone. So long to figure that all the Illuminati guys I again I can't tell any of the characters in this movie apart. I could not tell what had changed. I thought it was just everybody except Alex was there, but no, it turns out all the Illuminati also vanished. Because then we flashed to a picture of the Earth because Exterior Space. <laughs> Somewhere above the, the earth. earth. And it's just a bunch of heads. It's Alex and all the Illuminati heads. And Alex is like, yeah, it's just the heads. It's just their heads. Their bodies have been green screened out. It's just I, the- I don't know what went wrong here. Or if this is what was supposed to happen. They're floating heads in space. And they're like, where are we now? And then Alex is like, Alex's head, by the way, Alex's head is like, I gave you immortality. In space. <laughs> now you're vampires, but only your heads in space. space. How are we speaking when A, we don't have lungs, and B, this is space? Don't worry about it. And C of all, the sun's very visible right now. <laughs> We've established that like UVs will kill a vampire. <laughs> what are we doing in space? What are we doing, folks? They're just, and he's just like, all right, now you have to be immortal, but a floating head in space. Ha ha ha. And then his head leaves. The Illuminati guys just start to scream, and it's like the ending of one of the worst episodes of The Outer Limits. Like a really bad Outer Limits episode written by Garth Marenghi. That's what this scene is. They're doing like hissing noises. I think they all have vampire teeth now, but some of these old doughy white guys aren't opening their mouths very wide so we can tell. So that was his plan, I guess. Turn the Illuminati into vampires and teleport them to space. (laughs) Because those are his powers, not Sebastian's. (laughs) He can do that. (laughs) He can turn people into mist and teleport them into space. space. But only their heads. heads. And leave their bodies somewhere? (laughs) Who knows? And then Alex's head leaves space. And then we just cut to the bar where someone is like, it's been a year since the Illuminati disappeared. We don't even get another, like, one year later, like, super or anything. It's Lady Cop talking, I think, to Clown Cop. Clown Cop. They're an item now. And saying, when are you going to give me a ring? (laughs) They're engaged now. And we're in that same, like, hotel bar set with the honky-tonk music. And then, like, a reporter comes up and says, hey, can we interview you about the Illuminati being missing? <laughs> and the cop's like, fuck off. <laughs> so the guy, the reporter just turns around and with these two in the background of the shot, delivers a report to the camera. <laughs> does the report there in a bar that the audience would have no idea is connected to the story in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> And he's like, crime is at an all-time low since the disappearance of the Illuminati, and nobody's seen a vampire since. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And then we smash cut to Estelle in non-beige. 
wearing teal now. Yeah, she's wearing teal. Michael also got a costume change. Yeah, yeah he's got a Panama hat and it's it kind of rules. <laughs> it kind of rules, yeah. He's very dapper, actually. And still just turns to him and says, I've just transferred $30 million into the Wright Institute of Advanced Learning. And of course, the donation will remain anonymous. <laughs> oh, God. And then Michael saying this to the writer of the movie <laughs> says, you've done so many amazing things with the Illuminati's money. <laughs> I mean, she may as well have just said that's like, I'm going to donate to the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids who can't read good and want to learn to do other stuff good, too. <laughs> so I guess the DVD had all of his bank accounts on it, like for real. They just lived on the disc. Estelle rises and walks out of the house to Alex, who's painting in the sun. This white and pink house. She's like, all of the Illuminati's money will go back to the people it deserves to go to, she says, walking through her palatial Barbie estate. <laughs> Alex has removed his wig. Now he looks like random farm boy from the country. He looks like fucking Letterkenny. Wish you weren't so fucking awkward, bud. He was just some guy before, but now he is especially just some <laughs> yeah. guy. He has a generic haircut. He's in generic clothes. It's like, he is especially just a dude. And it's wild because, like, they build up anticipation for what he looks like now because, like, she walks up to him painting in the yard. It's shot in such a way, while her hand just awkwardly lingers on his shoulder for a good 20 seconds, the canvas covers his face. So it's supposed to be a big reveal that he got a haircut, and looks and even more hopelessly generic. And he smiles, and we don't actually get a kiss scene. It's just star wipes to a picture of them kissing. It's star wipes to the sun <laughs> painting, and yeah. as it pulls down to the center of the sun painting, we find that the center of the sun has been replaced with a square photo of them kissing with the edges airbrushed. <laughs> and then it wipes off screen to go to the credits. It does a wipe from the bottom, like a freaking PowerPoint transition. <laughs> like, like the PowerPoint I did like two last week. I am mildly obsessed with the idea that like the timing is right for Catherine Hawks to have been really obsessed with this actor when he was on Beastmaster and then proceeded to make a movie where, the, where she got to kiss him. <laughs> but the wild thing is that she didn't even get to kiss the Beastmaster on camera. <laughs> They kind of kissed in the I can't kiss you scene. A little bit. It was basically a, a movie about bit. how the Beastmaster wanted to kiss her, but believed she was too pure and good to be worthy. <laughs> and listen, as somebody who likes monster romance, I understand I am too hideous to be loved. But this isn't it. <laughs> just some guy. Literally just some guy. He's just a guy. Oh my god, though, like, the credits for this movie, I don't know if you guys, like, paid attention to any of that, not. but I swear to god, for being an hour and 40 minutes, for being a low-budget movie, this movie has so many named characters in it. <laughs> <laughs> like, it is long enough for, like, a real freaking movie. And, like, half of these credits are real cops. <laughs> There's the entire Indianapolis staff of the Avita Institute. <laughs> It was shot on location in Hamilton, Middleton, Fairfield, Liberty Township, and Westchester, and a little bit in Dayton, Ohio, and a little bit in Indianapolis, Indiana, in 2006, apparently. <laughs> this is 
just so much. There's a helicopter in this movie. <laughs> There's a helicopter in this movie. This movie is everything all the time. Do you think in order to get the helicopter, they had to have that many cops on screen? Yes. <laughs> that was the trade-off is like, you can have the helicopter, but we want like all of our boys to get to be in the movie. You would think that like the cops at some point, any of these police divisions would like object to the fact that the cops are shown, you know, not caring about people they're supposed to protect, sleeping on the job, being bummed out about not being able to do a violence doing a violence even though they shouldn't to somebody they've already captured. You know, the things cops do. But I think they think that that's cool. You wouldn't think they'd actually want that on camera. They'd be sad about it. But I guess none of them paid attention to this movie, which, you know, fair. None of them watched the movie. No. We are possibly the only people who have ever watched this movie. <laughs> now there's 500,000 views on th YouTube. No! 500,000? Yeah, something like that. Bless! Hold on. Kiss of the Vampire, 635,735 views. I don't care for that information. I don't. <laughs> I love that. I don't like it. I love it. <laughs> also, the first comment, the, the acting and special effects in this are first rate. Sharp, are dynamic, they? editing, tight directing, and some of the most what? realistic, brutal fight choreography you're likely to see anywhere make this thriller not to be missed. Some familiar faces among- Did they slip you a fiver? <laughs> that's, that's Catherine Hawks' soft puppet. <laughs> Some familiar faces among the B-grade actors demonstrating why they're unlikely to make the switch to A-grade anytime soon. Thank you for the movie. No, thank you, Cat. No, thank you, Cat. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Kate Hawks. <laughs> oh, man. I just, I can't believe I completely forgot that it ended in space. I did, too. I, I just, that is, that's just, a, it's such a Garth Marenghi writing an episode of The Outer Limits type bullshit. This is Skipper the Eyed Child level. What the fuck? Another one of these is imagine going to the opera and really feeling it. I love the idea of an eccentric, artsy, beautiful, adventurous life with much travel around the globe. This is my dream. I know it is, Kate. <laughs> She's beautiful. She's a socialite. She wears gorgeous evening dresses at all times. She loves art and theater. And a man said she deserved better. <laughs> she got to kind of kiss the guy from the Beastmaster TV show. She got to kiss the Beastmaster. The Beastmaster ostensibly yearned for her, even though half of the movie he was just kind of on a gurney. What a film. <laughs> I can't say I enjoyed this experience. <laughs> ah. <laughs> 20 minutes in, I started checking to see how much of the movie was left, which is never a good sign. Oh, man. No, it's the vampires doing the lion sounds that always sticks with me. That's the part that I think I love the most about this. Mackenzie, what's your favorite part of this movie? Oh, what is my favorite part of this movie? Honestly, it's any time the vampires are having a deep, dark meeting wearing their goth clothes. <laughs> because they try to make it so serious and they never do and I die. They're so bad at being serious. <laughs> yes. Okay, also, can we just talk about how great it is that the vampires are just gone? They're just gone. They just all die. There's like a vampire plot, a romance plot, and an Illuminati plot. <laughs> and one of those is just absent. One of those just stops. This is like three or four movies trying to happen in the same movie. Written by someone who has never seen a movie. It's so ambitious. <laughs> Unfortunately so. <laughs> <laughs> I think that brings us to our final facts, y'all. What do you think? 
Kit, what's your final fact? My final fact is if the budget for your vampire movie is zero dollars, maybe don't include a shootout. (laughs) (laughs) Annie, what's your final fact? Make whatever self-indulgent shit you want, even if you don't have Dick Van Dyke money. Just be be prepared to shoot most of your movie in a northern Ohio township. (laughs) Mac, what's your final fact? In the end, if you're playing a vampire, don't worry about the history or the folklore or anything like that. Just include the Illuminati. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you get the authentic shit. That's how you get the authentic shit right there. That's all that matters. I'll say this much. Nobody would look for the Illuminati seat of power in Ohio. (laughs) It's true. So isn't that really the perfect place for them to hide? I'm not sure I have an answer to that question. (laughs) If you tell anyone something incredibly important and supernatural is happening in the state of Ohio. (laughs) That's like half of all supernatural episodes. (laughs) Stranger Things is Indiana. Yeah, but it's clearly not, though. What is that? Gary? Are they trying to say this is outside Gary? Come on now. (laughs) No, honestly, this whole thing just makes me think of this video that went up earlier this year of like Mr. Incredible in The Incredibles (laughs) finding out a conspiracy to replace all the pride flags with the (laughs) flag of Ohio. Ohio, And then taking over the rest of the world. Do you think they did the floating head scene because they shot it with them, like, just their whole bodies, and then they realized that there was, like, no way for it to make it look like they were floating in space, so they just airbrushed their bodies out? God, maybe. Because it's like, it's it's not like they were going to film them, like, lying down and waving their hands around or something. Like, you can see the, the way the shot is angled in the screen cap that Mackenzie has sent, that, like, they deliberately cut out the character's feet. So clearly they were intending to maybe do some kind of floaty thing, and then they just looked so bad that they figured no floating heads. Yes, I mean, the whole thing is just, it's a mystery. Why just the heads? Why the heads? Man, though, that's the whole Illuminati. Seven people. Seven just like, just some guys from Ohio. Seven doughy hospital CEOs. Yep. Just a puzzling ending for your movie. You think that they would do like a, oh, we're going to trick you into taking this uh, immortality juice, but it's really poison or something. Or we're going to be like, yeah, no, you're definitely immortal. You should go like shoot yourselves to double check, like just start unloading guns into each other just to see. Or even like, yeah, we made you vampires and now we've locked you in the execution well from interview with the vampire. Or something, right? Something, right? Or just be like, yeah, now you're a vampire. Now you can't see the sun and pull the curtains open and oh no. Also, it's very funny that the vampire hunter gets killed with a stake through his heart. It is. I'm not sure they intended it to be funny, but it is funny. It turns out it's deadly for most people, actually. Yeah. It turns out a stake through the heart will, in fact, kill most people. <laughs> God, I'm looking at these at these YouTube comments that Mackenzie has posted in here. Those are all definitely written by Cat Hawks, right? Alex is so damn handsome with his cool vampire qualities. That was definitely written by Cat Hawks. <laughs> it begins with opera. Oh, God, I love opera. Great movie, too. All of these are like, you can tell, it has the same cadence as the dialogue from the movie. (laughs) It does. Very good. It has a storyline, unlike some of the other vampire movies. Like what? Like what, Angelina Barrett? (laughs) Not as long as some musicals. (laughs) (laughs) The audience applauded. (laughs) I think that is going to wrap us up here. Join us next time when we discuss the fact that if you like Oz, you're gay now. (laughs) (laughs) 
which seems to happen just on a stunningly regular basis. That's going to be my fact, but I'm also bringing on a friend of mine, Jody Troutman, to talk about Oz being incredibly gay and making you gay. So look forward to that. In the meantime, though, I hope we have thoroughly convinced you that writer, director, lead producers should be cherished. They should be. <clears throat> they sure are something, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Can't say the results are, strictly speaking, good. They sure make movies. <laughs> they sure do happen. <laughs> Ladies edition. <laughs> I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks. Uh, you can find it wherever you download podcasts. It is edited by Lucas Brown of The Math of You. If you would like to support us, a like, rating, review, subscribe, comment, wherever you find our podcast is always nice. Definitely go talk to me on our social medias and tell me your terrible, terrible jokes about movies and what have you. Tell me nice things about my friends and I'll pass them along. If you want to support us with dollars, you can do that at patreon.com slash the gem jam for a dollar minimum a month. You can get things like early access to new episodes of I Will Fight You at $5 our behind the scenes tier. You get access to things like our show notes. And all along there, there's also stuff for our other shows, Gem Jammer and Date Me Damn It. You can find us on Twitter at CRC Podcasts and on other social media sites, but our website, though, is crookedrussiancam.org <laughs> or crookedrussiancam.gay. And I definitely know it's still .gay because that domain name just renewed for another year as a gift to myself. <laughs> Join us next time when we talk about Oz, the book series, not just the Judy Garland movie, because that shit gets wild, y'all. Look forward to The Hungry Tiger. Until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Mild side story time. Yes, we're doing this. Okay. I hate Elvis. Because when I was a child, every time we go to Holiday World, there are these shows that the parents can sit at and kind of watch stuff happen. And one of them was Music Through the Decades. And during the music through the decades portion, Elvis would always pick kids from the audience to come up on stage and dance. And oh, Elvis no. always fucking picked me every time we went oh, to Holiday Jesus. World. And at one point, I was like talking to my mom and I was like, I don't want this to happen. Let's sit in the middle because they never pick kids from the middle. They always pick kids that are easy to get up and, and move forward. And my mom laughed and said, OK. And Elvis still picked me. <laughs> oh, wow. Elvis had it in for you. Oh, he had it in for me. It was the worst. Anyway, I feel like more of Mackenzie's stories should start with I hate Elvis, <laughs> just <laughs> apropos of nothing. <laughs> <laughs>